folks. Welcome back to Dub After. This is Chris once again. Hello, folks, and welcome back to Chris White Africa here for the Night Owls edition on the 2nd of June, 2021. But it won't just be the Night Owls. We'll be doing the Indaba African News of the Day as we had the conscious character Ernst von Sal on the program earlier for a special feature live stream interview. So today we're going to cover Indaba African News of the Day in the evening stream. Welcome back to Night Owls, folks. This is Chris coming to you live from central Pennsylvania. Let's get right to the headlines today from South Africa, Southern Africa, across the continent, and those who affect Africa from further afield and world events. Here are the headlines. Stage two load shedding began about uh, 10 or 12 hours ago in South Africa. It will continue through Friday at 2200. The ESCOM, state-owned parastatal, is blaming this on breakdowns at the Majuba and Arno power stations. But at the moment, 13,601 megawatts of Installed capacity is offline owing to mechanical failures. An additional 1,000 megawatts is scheduled off for normal repairs. South Africa has on the order of just over 50,000 megawatts of installed electrical capacity. Is it any wonder that the country is on the verge of collapse with this sort of idiotic nonsense happening? The African National Congress's Integrity Committee wants such conversation with the Health Minister Zuele Mkizi. And secondhand bakis, even corruption in South Africa is very ineffective and inefficient at times. The African National Congress's racism is causing misery in the private sector as Grand tries to sell off their Burger Kings. And it's official, ladies and gentlemen, South Africa has reached an all-time high for unemployment at 32.6%, even under the worst conditions of apartheid state. Unemployment rarely surpassed 10%, despite international sanctions and racism in morally bankrupt policies under the National Party. But today, under the African National Congress, it officially has reached 32.6%. Of course, we really have a difficult time believing those are the actual figures. It's probably far in excess of that. In Namibia... The People's Democratic Movement Opposition Party wants to abrogate the border treaty from 2018 between Botswana and Namibia, claiming that Botswana now has lands and islands that once belonged to Namibia and it's unjust. And the South African Rugby Union must decide what it wants to do and its approach considering the British and Irish Lions are coming to South Africa and is likely to see players pressured to take a knee to support the black supremacy movement. What will the Springboks do? New York stringer Jeffrey Moyo is being held in detention in Zimbabwe for purportedly helping international journalists illegally enter the country. And South Africa's MTN may re-enter the market to compete for a mobile license in Ethiopia a second time after its first bid failed. France's President Emmanuel Macron is visiting Africa. He was in Rwanda. He's now in South Africa. And his strange foreign policy seems to be driving a wedge between the West and the rest in a very self-serving fashion. Nigeria's purchase of Super Tucano fighter aircraft, prop aircraft, propeller aircraft, is finally coming to fruition with the delivery of first six of these aircraft scheduled for July of this year, just weeks away now. Nigeria, which has wanted these Super Tucanos for a number of years, but was unwilling to purchase them from the manufacturer in Brazil, choosing instead or opting instead to get the United States government to take care of the transaction so that all the spares, all the training, all the reliability is through a U.S. corporation and through the U.S. military's foreign military sales program, thereby making the U.S. the purchaser and the recipient being Nigeria. Exxon has bailed on a Ghana deep water block for exploration despite owning over 80% of the project. Could be this be the first sign of the 
leftist environmental zealots who've somehow found their way onto Exxon's board this past week? Could this be the first shot fired to reduce energy producers to non-entities? And China invades Malaysia's airspace. 16 military aircraft were flying towards Borneo when the Malaysians scrambled to intercept them. The European Union undermines the private sector with forcing corporations to file in 27 different EU countries. And JBS suffers a cyber attack, one of the world's largest meat processors suffers a cyber attack, which could lead to disruptions in meat supply in the United States. CNN's powder puff fluff piece on Dr. Fauci's emails, a non-story that's turned into a sycophantic lap dance for Dr. Fraud. And Joe Biden's war on American prosperity continues by shutting down exploration in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. Those are the headlines for today, the 2nd of June, 2021, folks. And thank you for tuning in. Let's get to some more in-depth analysis about what's actually happening in South Africa. Well, surprise, surprise. Can you imagine there's load shedding in South Africa? Hardly a shocker. ESCOM to implement stage two load shedding until Friday night at 2200. Start at 10 a.m. today and it will continue to 2200 on Friday. Emergency generation reserves have been used extensively in the past days to avoid load shedding during the day. So those emergency resources have been depleted. Read, they've run out of fuel. Breakdowns currently total 13,601 megawatts of capacity, while another 1,330 megawatts is unavailable due to plan maintenance. That's close to 23% of South Africa's installed electrical capacity is not available because the incompetent patronage machine that is ESCOM. This is a disgrace. And we have people saying that, well, the answer for South Africa is alternative energy. No, the answer is to get the coal-fired power plants that actually exist to work to hire people to make them actually function. That's the answer. The ANC's integrity body, <laughs> excuse me if I laugh, the ANC and integrity, uh, those are like, that's an oxymoron. That's like people say military intelligence is an oxymoron. Well, the ANC integrity body is definitely an oxymoron. There is little to no integrity in the ruling African National Congress these days, a party intent on it's our turn to eat. Screw the rest of you 50 plus million people. There you go, 59 million plus people. The health minister has not approached the integrity committee yet, says his chair. The ANC integrity committee is preparing to call health minister Zuele Mckizi to appear before it to explain allegations of a dodgy communication contract linked to his close associates. The Daily Maverick has reported that close associates of Mckizi ran a front company called Digital Vibes, which received an irregular 150 million rand contract from the health department to handle communications about the pandemic. And the list goes on and on and on. So yet another ANC minister implicated in corruption. Although he says, it wasn't me. I didn't benefit prof personally. Well, your family members apparently did, including this situation in which your son got a secondhand Baki <laughs> from Digital Vibes. Exposed, Digital Vibes bought a Land Cruiser Baki for Health Minister Zuelim Kizi's son by Peter Louis Mybert. Under fire department, under fire, Department of Health Communications contractor Digital Vibes purchased a secondhand Baki for Health Minister William Kesey's son, Dedani. This report follows our recent revelations that Digital Vibes had transferred money to Dedani Mkisi's company and had paid for maintenance work at the minister's family property in Johannesburg. Uh, not a direct recipient, are you there, William Kesey? According to photographs posted on social media, the vehicle has been put to use at a farm near Peter Maritzburg owned by the minister's son. Digital Vibes bought this used Toyota Land Cruiser for Health Minister William Casey's son. Ladies and gentlemen, we could start the news broadcast each and every day with just a, a corruption update from South Africa. It is unbelievable what's going on. 
So Grand Parade's uh, Burger King chain is in jeopardy now because they are not being allowed to sell it to another entity that wants to buy it because there aren't enough black folks in the company that wants to buy it. This pervasive, sick, racist legislation is undermining South Africa's economy and may lead to the disappearance of Burger King altogether in South Africa. Proposed buyer emerging capital partners has no historically disadvantaged people or workers as shareholders. Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you that after 30 years of racism, historically disadvantaged people include all South Africans now, including its minority whites, coloreds, and Indians. All are historically disadvantaged. The sale of Burger King by Grand Parade violates the black economic empowerment standards. This racist legislation is having a very bad impact on South Africa's economy. Competition Commission has recommended the sale of Grand Parade's Burger King be prohibited, putting yet another hurdle in the way of the Johannesburg Stock Exchange listed investment group's 18-month attempt to dispose of the food business. The prohibition is due to the proposed buyers of private equity fund, emerging capital partners lacking historically disadvantaged people or workers as shareholders. Sale of Burger King blocked over lack of black ownership. Talk about racist nonsense. The Competition Commission has prohibited the proposed takeover of Burger King in South Africa. It objected to the lack of historically disadvantaged persons among the new owners. The struggling Grand Parade Investments wanted to sell Burger King to an international private equity fund for $593 million. So Cyril Ramaphosa, who claims to want to have foreign direct investment in South Africa, is lying to you. He's misleading you. He is lying to you, telling you that he wants international investment in South Africa when he doesn't. He wants things to be handed over to people who are part of the patronage machine of South Africa. The few, the favored. They don't care about South Africans, especially black South Africans. And this is proof of it here. Stopping foreign direct investment, allowing a majority black-owned company to sell its stake to someone else because there's not enough black people in it. That's asinine, to say the least. The commission found that the merger would lead to a significant reduction in the shareholding of historically disadvantaged persons in the target firm, from more than 68% in Grand Parade to 0% as a result of the merger. Now, why does that matter? And who are you to intrude into the private sector and tell people who has, and who, who has to own and who gets to own a company? This is bigotry and racism of the highest order. It's the exact definition of racism. And it only harms South Africans. Shame on you, ANC. You are a disgrace to the liberation struggle. You are betrayers of the liberation struggle. One begins to wonder if you ever actually committed to it or you simply said what people wanted to hear. South Africa's unemployment rate, coincidentally, hits an all-time high on according official figures of 32.6%. SA's unemployment rate rose to a record 32.6% in the first quarter. Job losses recorded mostly in the construction sector, followed by trade in private households as the economy grappled with the effects of the pandemic. Well, what does this mean for growth? Nothing positive, ladies and gentlemen. The angry, naughty children continue their nonsense and destroying South Africa's economy. ShopRite, the South African grocery retailer, is abandoning or making plans to abandon Nigeria, a market that it entered approximately 16 years ago. They just can't make it. They follow Mr. Price and other South African companies have simply given up on the frustrating, fragmented, over-regulated, out-of-control Nigerian marketplace for consumers. ShopRite exits Nigeria. Is the Nigerian market impenetrable? Is the question here. They announced they'll be exiting Nigeria after 15 years. South African retailers have struggled in the Nigerian market, and most recently, Mr. Price exited after Woolworths did the same six years ago. International supermarkets, excluding Nigeria, contributed 11.6% to the group's sales, and they reported 1.4% decline in sales from 2018 ShopRite. Nigeria is a largely informal market, and there are a lot of businesses that have gone there and thought it was a good opportunity to consolidate and do some formalization because that's worked in SA, but it does not work in countries outside South Africa, according to the group. These are the words of Lulamo Kongpo, 
an investment analyst at Mergence Investment Managers, who has a view that South African companies fail in Nigeria because they do not understand the market and apply a strategy that's not tailored to the market. Well, with that one, I can only agree. Exactly. Spot on. South Africa supermarket retailer ShopRite has announced it's considering the sale of all or a majority stake of its business in Africa's biggest economy. 15 years after it opened in the West African country. Retail supermarkets Nigeria Limited may be classified as a discontinued operation when ShopRite reports its results for the year. Any further updates will be provided to the market at the appropriate time, according to a statement. ShopRite declined to comment for CNN when they were contacted about this story. Yet another South African firm that had big hopes. MTN has been endlessly harassed by Nigerian authorities while they give other mobile operators a free pass on the registration of SIM cards. They endlessly attack MTN, giving them ludicrous $6 billion or $7 billion fines, which were negotiated down to a much more reasonable level. But MTN continues to be under fire in Nigeria, its largest market, far larger than its marketplace in South Africa. Namibia and Botswana, the people's People's Democratic Movement, the PDM in Namibia, are looking for the government to abrogate the 2018 border treaty between the two countries. Namibia's opposition party, the Popular Democratic Movement, wants the Botswana-Namibia Treaty of 2018 recalled and revoked pending consultations with the public. Namibia, Namibia media reports this week. The party's member of parliament, Jeffrey Mwalima, Mwalimwa, told a media conference in Katima Muolo, which is the capital of the Zambezi district, the former Caprivi Zipfel, that there have been no public consultation before the treaty was signed, the Namibian Broadcasting Corporation reported on Tuesday. Well, that's probably true, but why does the government owe you public consultation? You've elected their representatives. They're there to represent you. Uh, there's no obligation for the government to inquire. The United States government didn't inquire from the public about the Gadsden Treaty or about Seward's purchase of Alaska. That never happened. There's no obligation for governments to consult the public when it comes to national security and territorial integrity. If they want to do it, they can do it. But uh, this opposition party calling for the government to abrogate its treaty obligations is a dangerous move. Now, if they want to add a codicil to the treaty with Botswana, then they can have public consultations, ask for input, consider it, and then approach Botswana and say, we'd like to amend the treaty to add this to it. But you can't simply withdraw from the treaty. That's a violation of international norms. And this is idiotic on the surface. The Springboks are addressing the issue of the British and Irish Lions taking a knee. Players under pressure or simply volunteering to support black supremacy uh, are a question here. You look there, you see Owen Farrell and others who are taking a knee for the British and Irish Lions, or for the, the English side, I should say, for the English side. Springboks director of rugby, Rossi Erasmus, has responded to a query on whether or not his players will be taking a knee when they face the Lions in July for their three-match test series. There's been increased awareness in rugby surrounding the issue of equality since the practice taking knee was adopted by the likes of Mario Itoja and company last year following the emergence of the Black Lives Matter, Black Supremacy Movement, and the death of George Floyd at the hands of a police officer. There's no confirmation yet that the taking knee will be an official part of pre-match protocol on the Lions tour, but Erasmus has reported the Springboks will be sticking by their own campaign, which it introduced back in 2019. Rugby Against Discrimination and Racism was a collaboration with the South African Human Rights Commission, and the Springboks players have worn t-shirts showing their support for anti-racism before matches. Branding at stadiums and messages over PA systems have also helped grow the awareness, but taking the knee is a concept that hasn't been embraced. In South Africa, we've been dealing with stuff like this for a long time, and we have our own program called Radar since 2019, which is against racism, our own program, which we initiated long before other debates started in the world. So we're very comfortable with that, explained Erasmus. Once again, Rossi Erasmus shows his, his political um, savvy by not wading into this idiotic topic. 
And I'll tell you this right now, if Springboks players take a knee supporting black supremacy, any Springboks players during the British and Irish Lions tour, they're done. Their support will evaporate overnight. Don't fall prey to this false movement of grifters who are defrauding people around the world. They don't care about black lives or any lives. And they've shown that by murdering people, by attacking people, by undermining civil liberty and civil discourse. Don't, don't fall for it, Springboks. If you do, you're going to lose what support you have remaining. And what a tragedy that would be for South Africa. The Springboks have been the one unifying force other than Nelson Mandela since the end of apartheid. In Zimbabwe, New York Times stringer Jeffrey Moyo has been detained by authorities there. A press freedom watchdog has called on Zimbabwe authorities to immediately release a local journalist who's remanded in custody on accusations of violating the country's immigration laws to facilitate a reporting trip by two foreign colleagues. New York-based Committee to Protect Journalists said on Friday the baseless charge against Jeffrey Moyo, a New York Times freelancer who's also worked for other international media outlets, including The Globe and Mail, should be dropped. Moyo, 37, was arrested on Wednesday in the capital Harare. His lawyer, Doug Coltart, of course, famous with the famous lawyer there, told the CPJ Moyo was charged with violating Section 36 of the Immigration Act for allegedly presenting false information to immigration officials to help two New York Times journalists enter the country. According to Coltart, the two colleagues, Christina Goldblum, Baum and Yal Silva, who arrived in Bulawayo on May 5th, were deported on May 8th because they alleged did not have proper accreditation from the Zimbabwe Media Commission. Four days into their trip, the visiting journalists were ordered to leave after immigration officials advised them and Mr. Moyo that official noticed their accreditation credentials had not been received from the necessary authorities. How chilling it is that Zimbabwe can simply deport people and then arrest someone who are legitimate journalists because they're corrupt State media organ didn't issue them credentials. MTN, the South African mobile operator, has plans to try once again, possibly in Ethiopia, where they lost out on a consortium led by a Japanese group that got the license, making a much higher bid than MTN. MTN considering a second attempt to win a telecoms license in Ethiopia, the CEO has told shareholders. Ralph Mupita said that MTN has not made a firm decision, but we'll apply our minds. What the hell does that mean? If Ethiopia remains open reopens bidding for a second license we'll apply our minds good lord this guy's the ceo the government last week awarded one license to a consortium backed by vodafone with vodacom and safaricom which are members of the same group mtn's bid of 600 million was short for the license because the vodacom back group bid 850 million significantly larger amount so ethiopia will get 850 million dollars for the licensing of mobile spectrum to that consortium to allow some competition into the state-controlled mobile market, which is very much under control of the state thus far. France's President Emmanuel Macron is making a visit to Africa. He's already been to Rwanda where he apologized, God knows for what. The France was not complicit in the genocide of 1994, but he apologized for it. Uh, we think the United Nations should be apologizing for their abject failure and their direct intervention to prevent countries from intervening. I received a warning order in the military, in Germany, to deploy, to evacuate people in the midst of that genocide, and we were told to stand down. Why? Bill Clinton, Madeleine Albright, Kofi Annan. Hmm. Yeah, so there you have it. But Macron is making a bizarre tour around Africa, and he seems intent on dividing the world, splitting East between West, blaming the West, which France is part of, but not accepting any responsibility for it. French President Emmanuel Macron arrived Friday in South Africa for a lightning trip to discuss COVID vaccine across Africa. It was a historic visit after his trip to Rwanda. 
But what's interesting about this is that he is expected to try to get a waiver for intellectual property. Of course, no French corporations have produced any vaccines. So he'd love to have a waiver so France could profit off of other people's research. And he says, according to the African report, they're going to invest in South African production. Well, I find that to be farcical on his face. Aspen Pharmaceuticals, perhaps the best known pharmaceutical company in South Africa, and they have yet to get into this. While Chinese and Indian firms have produced vaccines since the outset under license from all the producers who came up with them, South Africa has failed to produce any vaccine to date. Nigeria will be receiving the first six of its 12 Super Tucanos coming in July. These are aircraft produced by Brazil, but in this case by SMC Corporation, SMC Nevada Corporation in the U.S. The first six A-29 Super Tucano aircraft the Nigerian Air Force will be delivered in July. The remaining six will be uh, delivered at the end of October. Team Colonel Arthur Ford of the United States Air Force Fighters and Advanced Aircraft Director said that 10 out of the 12 aircraft were ready for delivery while two were undergoing modification integration for a specific operational configuration. The six that are scheduled to arrive in July while the remaining six will be delivered at the end of October. This is something that Nigeria has wanted for a long time. The first Nigerian Super Tucano flew last year in April, which I reported on my original channel. And by the end of 2020, six of them were being used for conversion training for pilots in the Nigerian Air Force at Moody Air Force Base in Georgia, along with engineers, technicians, and logisticians. And so this is intended to give Nigeria capacity to fight groups like Boko Haram. Exxon. The world's largest energy company has walked away from an exploration block in Ghana. Exxon walks away from a stake in Deepwater Ghana block. The company relinquished the entirety of its stake in the Deepwater Cape Three Points block and resigned as its operator after fulfilling its contractual obligations during the initial exploration period, according to a letter to Ghana's government seen by Bloomberg and people familiar with the matter who asked not to be named because the information is in public. Exxon controlled 80% of the block with state-owned Ghana National Petroleum Corporation at 15% and Ghana Oil Company with the remaining 5%. The partner said they'll have to search for a new operator for the block. The work done so far included processing about 2,200 square kilometers of seismic data, but Exxon didn't drill any exploration wells. Exxon couldn't immediately reach for comment because of Memorial Day holiday here in the U.S., and U.S. representatives for Ghana National and Oil couldn't immediately be reached. Is this the first shot fired in the religious zealots of climate change stopping Exxon from doing exploration? Who knows? China has overflown Malaysian airspace, violated their Malaysian airspace in a very provocative act with 16 military aircraft flying in formation. South China Sea dispute. Malaysia accuses China of breaching airspace. Says they, uh, it is, ugh. Malaysia says it's going to summon China's ambassador after 16 Chinese military aircraft flew over disputed waters off its eastern state of South. Intercept the transport planes on Monday after detecting suspicious activity over the South China Sea. Malaysia's foreign minister described the maneuver as a serious threat to national sovereignty. China oversaid its aircraft had abided by international law. Malaysia, the Philippines, Brunei, Taiwan, and Vietnam all contest China's claim to almost all of the South China Sea. The row has rumbled on for decades, but tensions have increased in recent years. And we'll show you here. According to Malaysian Air Force, Chinese aircraft were flying in tactical formation at up to 27,000 feet and came within 60 nautical miles of Sarawak, a Malaysian state on the island of Borneo. Attempts to contact them went unheeded. Malaysian fighter jets were then scrambled to carry out visual identification. Malaysia's stand is clear having friendly diplomatic relations with any country does not mean that we will compromise our national security. Press statement from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. And this is the challenge here. China's bizarre, ludicrous claim to the seas within that nine-dash line, that red line there that's uh, non-existent. They claim to own that. 
and the disputed Paracels, the Scarborough Shoal, as well as the Spratly Islands and fake islands, which they've produced on coral atolls out there. So they flew within Malaysia's airspace, violating their sovereignty. But China does this all the time. They've done it to Taiwan of late. They've done it to Vietnam in the past, and they've done it frequently to the Philippines. They are a provocative actor in the South China Seas. And the Manchurian cadaver is ill-placed to respond to them. He doesn't seem to care. The European Union has reached a deal to oppress private corporations by forcing them to file their income and taxes in all 27 European countries, even though they're not headquartered in them. Rather than create a European standard or forcing people to file in Brussels, they're forcing corporations to business in the European Union to do it in all countries, reporting this. This is ostensibly an effort to harmonize tax and to prevent tax avoidance. But what it is, is really an effort to steal money from corporations who operate from one country but sell goods and services in other countries. EU reaches deal to force multinationals to report profits by country. Final deal on Thursday to introduce a new regulation that will force large multinational countries companies to declare their activities per country, a measure opposed by Ireland, but one hailed by proponents as a major step forward in tax transparency. This report from the Irish Times. The country-by-country -country reporting will mean that EU headquartered companies or subsidiaries with a turnover over more than 750 million euros must publicly report the number of employees, the net turnover, profits, corporate tax paid, and nature of activities per EU member state. With 27 EU member states, this is an obsessive, over-the-top regulatory requirement for businesses. It will cost them a fortune. Companies will also have to disclose these details for any country listed by the EU as a non-cooperative tax jurisdiction, though figures for the rest of the world can be presented in aggregate. So now they're telling European Union countries that you must report to a country that you're not based in your dealings with banks in countries that they consider to be non-cooperative, ostensibly places like the Caymans, the Jersey Islands, uh, perhaps Malta, these places, Liechtenstein, that are not cooperative with the European Union. This is a bureaucracy run amok and out of control. JBS has come under cyber attack, yet another major corporation under cyber attack, this time affecting the food chain. Nation's largest meat processor has been hit with a cyber attack. What does that mean for the food supply chain? Well, it's not good. JBS canceled shifts at multiple processing plants and extended disruption could cause backlogs on feedlots and high prices for grocery shoppers. JBS USA, a subsidiary of JBS, the largest meat supplier in the world, announced Monday that it had been hit by an organized cybersecurity attack over the holiday weekend. The attack affected several servers in North America and Australia, and the company canceled Tuesday shifts at several plants across the country. It's not clear how many JBS shut down and shift cancellations, which have impacted some of the largest pork and beef processing plants in the nation, may affect U.S. meat market. The company controls about 20% of the beef sold nationwide. Because the company's operation is so expansive, any disruption in JBS processing capacity could have ripple across the supply chain. And here we have, we have enough issues with supply chain from hysteria related to the pandemic and unlawful and unnecessary unconstitutional lockdowns and shutdowns, which have disrupted our, our supply chain across all industries. Now we have to deal with this as well, with this cyber attacks. Where is the Manchurian candidate sleeping on the job? Is he working more than three hours a day? One has to wonder. And in this puff piece from CNN, this love affair, this sycophantic bootlicking by CNN to Dr. Fauci from his emails and what should have been an expose exposing how he is completely clueless, instead it turns into a puff piece of love and affection. Thousands of emails from and to Fauci during the pandemic's early days were published. Here's what they show about him. He was remarkably calm and professional all the time. BuzzFeed published more than 3,200 pages of emails from his inbox after obtaining correspondence from January through June of 2020. The Washington Post published excerpts from more than 860 pages of emails from March and April. And CNN obtained a number of emails from February, but many have been heavily redacted. 
And of course, the bombshell in all this is that Fauci continually and reportedly says that he was not hamstrung or muzzled by the Trump administration. But that's not the story that they lead with. That's not, because that's the story they said last year. Fauci has been hamstrung by the administration making stuff up and, and, and refusing to let him speak. He was never hamstrung, as was claimed falsely by the media. And Fauci, of course, didn't make any public statements, by and large, saying that he can say speak his mind. Why? Because he's a political hack. And he allowed the media to falsely report a narrative that wasn't true. So, yeah, this puff piece. But here we have it. And we finally see it reported in the emails a year plus later, after the damage has been done to the Trump campaign. I've never been muzzled. The veteran doctor earned scores supporting tractors he held firm against the Times' overly optimistic Trump, who frequently sought to downplay the severity of the pandemic. Trump and Fauci disagreed in the approach, but Fauci said repeatedly he was never muzzled. He was able to say what he had to say and what he thought was the best advice. Of course, his best advice has proven to be wrong time and again. President Joe Biden's assault on American prosperity continues with executive orders shutting down the Arctic refuge drilling permits. The Biden administration is suspending Arctic refuge drilling rights that were sold in the final days of Trump's presidency, dealing a victory to environmentalists who have argued for decades against oil development in the remote, wild region of Alaska. Under an Interior Department order issued Tuesday, the agency is temporarily halting action on nine leases spanning more than 400,000 acres of the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge while it conducts a fresh environmental analysis of the program. Absolute horse manure. There's no need for another survey of the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. This has been done repeatedly. Also, the fraudulent fake claims about the horrific damage that would be done to the caribou herds and to the environment as a consequence of the Alaska pipeline back in the 1970s proved to all be hot air and nonsense. Utter nonsense. Virtually no environmental damage whatsoever. Far greater environmental damage from the Exxon Valdez running ashore than was ever accomplished by the oil pipeline didn't affect. In fact, quite the contrary, caribou herds are larger now than they were before the pipeline was erected in Alaska. Just utter nonsense from ec ecological zealots and religious climate change fanatics. And once again, the same thing is happening here. In effort to hamper this country, the world's largest energy producer and the world's largest oil exporter beyond even Saudi Arabia's capacity. But since the man shrinking average come in office, our energy sector has been under assault, our economy is under assault, American prosperity and our Society itself is under assault by the Manchurian cadaver, and yet the latest attempt by him to divide us. Folks, those are the headlines. That's news and analysis, in-depth analysis of the events of today, the 2nd of June, 2021, here on Indaba Africa News of the Day. Thank you so much for your patronage and support, and we appreciate you. We'll be back here tomorrow with another news story and events taking place on the 3rd of June. Thank you for your support.